you know, we often think about compliance as kind of a daunting, overwhelming, maybe a difficult thing that doesn't seem very fun to do. But at its core, it's really about protecting the credit union and protecting the members that we're serving. But I think it's a really good reminder that compliance is here to be our friend and to, to help and support not only our membership, but credit unions as well. Welcome to Talking Mortgage Podcast, presented by True Home Solutions, a podcast dedicated to helping you bring your members home. I'm Doug Holscher, president of True Home Solutions. Here you'll find meaningful ways to serve your members, valuable knowledge from the mortgage industry's top experts, and stories from credit union-minded folks just like yourself. Thanks for being here. Welcome back to the Talking Mortgage Podcast. Today we're here to talk about compliance and how changes in Washington are impacting the regulatory market for credit unions offering mortgage to their members. My name's Scott Burdett. I'm the moderator of the Talking Mortgage podcast, and I'm a strategy consultant who helps financial service organizations and the vendors who serve them grow top-line revenue by making changes in how organizations sell, market, and service their customers and members. I'm that guy always trying to push boundaries to help a business best serve and grow. And today I'm joined by a guy who likes to make sure I don't get over my skis and push the boundaries too far to put an organization or its customers and members at risk. His name's Andrew Duncan, and he serves as the Senior Vice President of Mortgage Technology and Compliance. Andrew has worked at True Home Solutions for four years. He's originally from Iowa and now resides in Kansas City, and he's a lifelong Kansas City Chiefs fan. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Scott. Really uh, excited to be here. Uh, I know that you're anxious to talk to us about compliance and all the changes that are going on um, in Washington that could affect our credit union uh, listeners out there. But I first want to get your take on the recent draft and how the Kansas City Chiefs fared. That's a far more important subject and in, in, in one that's worthy of a full conversation. Um, you know, to be honest, uh, I've spent a lot of time the last uh, few weeks during the draft um, focused on some serious compliance issues. So haven't had the time to really dive into uh, the analysis on how the Chiefs fared, but looking forward to a real restructure on that O-line and uh, seeing what we can make happen this year and hopefully repeat that appearance in the Super Bowl, but uh, come out with a different outcome. Awesome. I, you know, I know that in addition to football, you love the credit union movement and you started uh, with a credit union right out of high school, I, I think. Tell me a little bit about that story and how you got started in the credit union mo movement and what you love most about serving credit unions. Sure. So coming from the community I'm from, from Iowa, uh, the credit union that I ultimately started with uh, has a, a really strong market penetration and, and I had a level of familiarity with them just from, uh, you know, being a young kid, opening my first membership and, uh, you know, really seeing them in the community. And uh, it was just to me uh, somewhere that I saw myself being um, from a young age, even from high school. And so right out of high school, joined the credit union and uh, bought into the credit union movement at large, really from day one. That's so. awesome. Um, what is it that you love serving? You know, in, in your role here at, at True Home, you get the opportunity to serve uh, a variety of credit unions across the country. Uh, tell me what you love about serving those credit unions. Yeah, so I spent almost a decade at the credit union I started with um, and absolutely loved it. Uh, loved it just being there to serve the members, most importantly. Um, but in, in coming to True Home, that is a great point of something that um, has been really fantastic in that not only have 
do I have one, you know, credit unions membership that I'm, I'm there to support, but we have, you know, dozens uh, that they're all across the country. They're geographically uh, diverse, um, but diverse also in their memberships and their SEGs, their, their areas of focus. And uh, there's really a, a ton of great people that I've had the opportunity to work with, collaborate with, and support over these last four years at True Home. That's awesome. Um, the people that work in the movement are just uh, so gracious and kind and just super yeah. to, to work with. You know, you've been a compliance officer, both at a natural person uh, credit union as well right. as at True Home. And I'm curious, uh, what do you believe are the, the, what are the biggest misconceptions of uh, someone that works in compliance with, with credit unions? Yeah, I think the, the most important thing, yeah, I guess, conceptually to get over is that it's not just you know, checking the box on, okay, we've got, we've got someone dedicated to compliance and, you know, we're good. We, we don't have to give it a whole lot of thought beyond that. Um, it, it really is a, a kind of a complex mindset in that there's a system here. There's a system at play that's necessary to protect the credit union uh, from risk and to ensure that, you know, members are being served in, in the way that the credit unions are, are really set out to accomplish as part of their mission statement, people helping people. Um, you know, they can't do that if they're, you know, being faced with regulatory issues that are you know, uh, hamstringing their, their ultimate effort and, and goal to, to serve their members. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know for credit union leadership out there, the, the topic of compliance can be a little daunting, coupled with the fact that, you know, we just had a recent change in Washington. I believe President Biden just uh, finished his first 100 days a couple weeks right. ago, and uh, he and his administration have been busy, and there's all kinds of new folks in, in Washington. And when that happens, you know, the regulatory environment changes, particularly when uh, different parties, but, you know, when there's a switch in, in, in the party that's kind of in, within control. Talk to me a little bit about, and for the listeners out there, tell us a little bit about some of the changes that you anticipate seeing uh, that will affect the uh, mortgage market specifically for credit unions. Yeah, you make a great point, Scott, just about change in general. Uh, I mean, I've made this point since being at True Home and, and starting, as you mentioned, four years ago uh, with you know the early onset of the Trump administration and, and had a lot of conversations with credit union leaders about the impact of deregulation. Uh, any change in the compliance space is work. It's, it's something that uh, you know there needs to be a plan associated with and uh, there needs to be an initiative to... Uh, kind of pull through the other end on full impact assessment. And so this is kind of reversing course, right, on uh, the strategy where four years ago we were kind of faced with what we consider to be somewhat of a deregulatory environment where we're looking at, okay, how does this change impact us from this angle? But now it's, okay, we're seeing likely a return to the enforcement regime that was in place in, in the initial uh, in kind of construction of the CFPB under the Obama administration and uh, a return to kind of that enforcement mindset and methodology that uh, makes interpreting and, and forecasting what the landscape looks like a little more difficult. You know, and I think that, um, you know, when you're sitting at a, at a credit union, right, and, you know, maybe compliance isn't your full-time job or it's a part-time job, and it can be a little overwhelming um, to stay abreast of, like, these changes, um, you know, as you think about what's going on in Washington, I'm going to I'm going to spend some time digging into some of the changes that you anticipate seeing. But if you were to provide advice uh, or some resources that would be available to credit unions to stay abreast of what's happening, uh, where are one or two places that you would suggest that they go? Yeah, so, I mean, anyone in the credit union space knows that credit unions are, are a family. Um, 
And so I think it's important to look to resources like the leagues and in particular uh, the CUNAs and NAFQs of the world, uh, trade associations that um, you know, make lobbying, lobbying efforts a uh, key part of their, of their charter and their initiatives. And uh, they do a great job of kind of providing an impact assessment of, of what, what's coming down the pike, what's um, you know, the, the latest and greatest uh, by way of you know, regulatory interpretation. And uh, so making sure that as a baseline, credit unions are following those communications and advisories from those trade groups. And then just getting into, um, depending on the line of business, some of the more focused um, resources for things like mortgage um, that you know allow credit unions, if, if they have dedicated compliance staff, to dig into the issues at a more granular level. So, Andrew, I'd, I want to just kind of turn the floor over to you, and I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about some of the changes that you anticipate happening uh, with the CFPB, not just from a leadership perspective, but some of the things that uh, credit unions might um, see happening in the in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, so obviously at True Home, we're focused uh, primarily on impacts to regulation surrounding mortgage. And when we think of mortgage regulation, there's really two primary channels. It's originations and servicing. And so we've got some interesting things happening at the Bureau on both sides. Um, when we look at originations and the regulatory landscape there, I think the most important thing to be mindful of is the likely change to an enforcement regime sound surrounding fair lending. Uh, we've seen uh, some limited rulemaking and actually interpretive guidance from the Bureau uh, surrounding, you know, Reg B and protected classes. Uh, but then also to uh, some recent um, changes to effective dates on final rules uh, from the waning days of the Trump administration, whereby uh, the current acting director at the Bureau is effectively postponing those effective dates to give the Bureau and ultimately what we assume will be a confirmed director once confirmed by the Senate, uh, the opportunity to likely change those rules. Uh, so it's, it's very much in flux. Um, things in particular like the qualified mortgage rule that were finalized again in the waiting days of the Trump administration are what I would consider to be likely on the chopping block for kind of a reconstruction and um, a lot of, uh, I guess, lack of clarity right now in the industry on what that might look like on the other side. And then on the servicing side, again, since we're talking mortgage, we're talking the primary two areas, originations and servicing, um, the Bureau has been quick to propose rulemaking uh, surrounding protections for borrowers related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, they've really kind of stretched what we consider to be the traditional boundaries on you know areas where they have authority to regulate and you know types and classifications of mortgages that they can impose rulemaking. Um, so that rule will likely be finalized uh, sometime uh, in the coming months and take effect in August, we believe, and uh, will totally change the landscape on how we look at uh, federal federal rulemaking with respect to you know, privately held portfolio loans at state chartered credit unions. You know, as you think about, if you were sitting in the seat of a of a mortgage professional uh, at a credit union, are there some things that they could begin doing now? to position themselves well based on some of these changes that you uh, are sharing with us that you're anticipating? Yeah. So as I mentioned, you know, there's some, there's definitely some unknowns and uh, a lot of uncertainty, but to give uh, credit unions some direction on what we can be doing now to prepare for those uh, eventualities, I'd say it's, it's primarily making investments in focusing on the tools and technology that can assist credit unions in evaluating just their fair lending compliance in general. 
Um, there's a lot of ways to define what fair lending means. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, just making sure that your members are, are treated fairly and uh, that you're deploying all the, the resources at your disposal uh, to make sure that uh, if there are any issues, they're quickly addressed and resolved uh, so that you're the one to identify those, uh, not your regulator or some sort of private litigant. Right. Andrew, I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of guessing because I know that how things happen in Washington, the timing of it is all, not always uh, highly predictable. But if you were to make a suggestion around when some of these changes could take uh, take effect and you know how much time credit unions have to prepare for that, what, what would that guess, educated guess be? Yeah, I'd say start, pre- start preparing yesterday. And uh, we know already just based on some of the co- public commentary uh, that's been made available from the current acting director at the Bureau and others uh, on staff that were previously uh, members of uh, the administrative staff under the Obama administration's Bureau. Uh, this this uh, focus on fair lending is here, it's coming. Um, we can expect a return to rulemaking and to enforcement by penalty. And so credit unions should be prepared uh, should be performing testing, should be uh, looking at the resources that are available in the marketplace and making some internal investments on uh, ways that we, they can ensure uh, they're protected from what is the inevitable. Andrew, I'd like to shift gears a little bit away from kind of the, the, the environment that's occurring in Washington right now and talk more generally about some of the challenges that you see credit unions having uh, as it relates to mortgage compliance. What are one or two or three examples of particular areas that you see credit unions at risk from a compliance perspective most frequently? Yeah, the number one issue always uh, kind of ties back to technology. And so, you know, you mentioned kind of shifting gears in the conversation away from where the regulatory environment is headed. But, you know, how did we arrive where we're at today? There's, there's uh, you know, voluminous rulemaking that's occurred in the last decade. Uh, obviously, much of that spawned. Uh, with the you know, housing collapse and uh, the mortgage crisis that ensued at uh, you know the, the end of the, the first decade of the century. And so a lot of the systems that credit unions are using, at least from, from my perspective and the conversations I've had, are legacy platforms, um, you know, systems that were built prior to uh, this intense period of rulemaking, and that any solutions that have been put in place to resolve for some of those complex compliance requirements have been a patchwork of almost, I'd call them band-aid solutions. And so thinking through end-to-end, you know, impacts of regulation and how certain requirements interact with each other, especially when you think about something as complex as originating a mortgage, that end-to-end experience, all of the requirements that go into calculations, APR, uh, qualified mortgage uh, being some significant ones, and then, uh, you know, how their systems and controls that they put in place to ensure those objectives are met are actually performing and interacting with each other. What I see a lot of times is, you know, solutions that require really cumbersome and, and uh, what I would call non-efficient uh, steps to achieve compliance, you know, as an end. So those means aren't, aren't really benefiting the organization. And, um, you know, making investments in thinking through that end-to-end experience both helps improve the experience for staff, reduces risk within the organization, and ultimately, I believe, produces a better member experience on the outside. Are there specific technologies that you're you're kind of referencing? 
Yeah, primarily I'm referring to credit unions that either perform some level of orig- origination service and or servicing uh, services for uh, mortgage loans on a primary core account platform. Uh, many credit union core account systems uh, were kind of developed, implemented you know, 20, 30, 35 years ago. And uh, we'd consider these really legacy platforms that you know, there's been that patchwork or those series of band-aids that have been applied to help address some of these compliance changes. Uh, but there's not much of a comprehensive framework at play to ensure that uh, those methods are efficient from the end-to-end perspective. If you were to make some recommendations, you know, this compliance topic can be pretty daunting for uh, the leadership of a, of a credit union. And if you were to help inform those credit union leaders that, that are dialing in and, and listening to this podcast right now, if you were to provide them with some suggestions on how to be most supportive uh, to the folks that they have on staff overseeing uh, compliance, what would, what would be some of the suggestions that you would make to those leaders? Yeah, give them a budget and, and give them some. Yeah, I want a budget too. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah. Uh, and give them some authority within the organization to help affect change and, you know, contribute to the conversation, invite them to the table. Oftentimes, you know, individuals that are charged with compliance, um, you know, can't actually affect and ensure compliance if they're not part of the conversation. They're not at the table when the decision is being made. So I think that's the number one. You know, if the compliance officer isn't at the table with you, you know, you're, you're for sure uh, not going to have most likely that compliant outcome, or at least not the ideal compliant outcome. Uh, But then to uh, allow that compliance officer or search for a compliance officer or or empower that compliance officer to evaluate uh, systems and technology end-to-end and um, equip them with other individuals that uh, might be uh, familiar with or have expertise in business analysis and the steps that are involved in various procedures and make sure that they have solutions to document those procedures. And so that everyone within the organization who is responsible for certain roles or responsibilities is uh, operating out of the same rule book, the same manual, and they're on the same page with what's required of them. Mm-hmm. Andrew, as you and I were preparing to have this conversation today, you know, one of the things that I learned uh, in those conversations is that, you know, as you think about compliance in the mortgage space, it's important to you know, think about compliance from on the origination side, but also the servicing side. And, and one of the things that I picked up from you is that there's quite a bit of risk on the, on the servicing side. And we've touched upon servicing a, a couple of different times during this podcast, but I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit more and give us a little bit more insight and information around some key areas um, where credit unions should focus their attention as they think about being compliant in the realm of mortgage servicing. I know technology plays a part of that, but is there anything else that you would, ex- anything where you would expand on that at all? Sure. A lot of that um, depends on whether the credit union has, um, you know, sold loans, sold loans to investors uh, that they've retained servicing rights for. Um, if the credit union is participating in any government lending programs, such as FHA or VA, uh, there's some unique requirements associated with servicing loans in any of those programs. And, they require extensive procedural documentation. You know, at True Home, just in our, our servicing area, you know, we have 200 plus uh, policies, procedures, and job aids for our staff uh, that cover kind of the wide range of issues uh, that they face between you know investor accounting, loss mitigation, uh, collections, 
and then just general uh, servicing matters. It's, it's exceptionally complex. You mentioned uh, you know, technology. I just kind of reiterate once again, it's very difficult to service a compliant mortgage loan on a core account platform. So making investments in a system that is designed truly for servicing a mortgage loan um, is, is key or you know, looking for a partner that can assist in that regard. Uh, we've seen just in our conversations with credit unions and credit union leadership over the last several years, numerous examples of some really interesting uh, setups and uh, structures within organizations to uh, achieve servicing compliance um, that are, are, are somewhat comical. Um, and it's an unfortunate reality in that these systems were designed you know, well before these requirements were ever even conceived of. Now, Andrew, you're supposed to make compliance less daunting, but you just referenced 200 documented processes here at True Home. That sounds complicated. Yeah, it, it <laughs> certainly is. And that was just, just mortgage servicing. So I wasn't even including you know any other of our lines of business in that. That's awesome. You've given us a lot of information uh, that's really timely in terms of talking to us about what's happening in Washington and the changes that are coming, as well as some key areas of potential risk uh, for credit unions out there that are offering mortgages. And I would love for you to, as kind of your final words today to the, the folks that are dialing in and listening to this podcast, uh, tell them like three tips, three of the most impactful tips that they should consider as they try to get in front of uh, mortgage compliance. Yeah. So one that um, maybe not uh, is something that comes to mind immediately when you think about compliance uh, but that is a, a real impactful reality is culture. So having a culture or, or mentality within the credit union of you know, doing the right thing is, is key to both serve, serving the member and doing right by the member, but also too, if you have that kind of embedded mentality as your baseline to you know, do the right thing, that it lends itself very well to compliance. And so ensuring that uh, when there's communications, advisories, et cetera, from a compliance officer, uh, that those are well received and that the staff uh, understand that they have a responsibility and a role to play in making sure uh, that they do the right thing and, and follow those guidelines. Um, you know, that all ties back into the investment conversation, you know, investing in a compliance officer and, and giving them tools and resources to do their job and to be effective and to yeah, effectuate change within the organization, uh, to improve procedures and to help uh, make sure staff are trained and are, are current on what's required. And also to um, just making sure that whomever is in charge of compliance is truly deploying, monitoring, and building and maintaining a actual compliance management system that involves several tenants, uh, areas of risk that are being considered, uh, but also a couple lines of defense where there's one that kind of analysis up front of you know, what's, what's impacting the organization what do we need to do to truly understand our risk and what changes need to be made in order to uh, comply with whatever those requirements are? And then to perform some level of documentation and testing to ensure that any controls put in place are monitored over time uh, to ensure that they're still performing the, it's the they're providing the intended outcome or the ten, intended solution uh, that they were put in place to provide. You know, I think, Andrew, when, the first thing that you said, that tip that just really resonates with me, and I think would really resonate with the goodness of credit union leadership out there is that, you know, we often think about compliance as kind of a daunting, overwhelming, complicated, 
maybe a difficult thing that doesn't seem very fun to do, but at its core, it's really about protecting the credit union and protecting the members that we're serving. And I think embedding that into your culture at a credit union is not going to be particularly difficult because that's kind of the DNA of, of credit unions. But I think it's a really good reminder that compliance is here to be our friend and to, to help and support not only our membership, but credit unions as well. Andrew, you have knocked it out of the park today. I have thoroughly enjoyed um, learning of, about some of your thoughts and opinions of what's happening in Washington and some things that are happening in the mortgage landscape uh, as well. So thank you uh, for your time and thanks for the work that you do to protect credit union credit unions and borrowers. And for those of you listening today, thanks for joining us. And until next time, bring more of your members home with a credit union mortgage. Thanks for listening and for being part of the credit union movement. If you found this valuable, I'd love it if you review this show from wherever you find your podcasts. From all of us at True Home, we're thankful you're here. Keep tuning in to more on how to bring your members home where they belong.